What's going on, MMA World? Kumite Radio, in association with Flow Combat, brings to you the Chronicles of Ensign Anyway. Ensign is a mixed martial arts legend, a true OG of the sport, and that is the reason why I wanted to do this podcast series with him. He has dealt with so much throughout his life, throughout his career, uh, the Yakuza, fighting for pride, the UFC, dealing with bullies when he was a young kid growing up in Hawaii, everything. There's so much to talk about with him, and he's going to detail his journey from the beginning to the end, or actually from the beginning to now. There will be multiple podcasts. He has stories for days. He's an open book. So it's so easy to talk to him and he explains everything so well. If you are a MMA nerd, if you are a MMA fanatic, this is something that you need to listen to. Make sure to go follow Ensign on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you have any questions for Ensign anyway, please email kumuteradio at gmail.com and make sure to go visit his website, destinyforever.com. Part one is going to delve into his life growing up as a Japanese American in Hawaii, being bullied, meeting the Gracies for the first time, um, street fighting, all this stuff. He's going to talk about that. So let's get it started. Uh, Ensign, thank you for coming on. Thank you. And we're going to start with you in, 19, in the 1980s, growing up in Hawaii. What is the first, I guess... Where, where did you go to school? I went to the public schools in the districts. Like, uh, my district was Manoa Valley, so I went to Manoa Elementary School. And then from there, we moved on to a bigger district, which uh, combined a lot of the um, towns that are, that are next to each other. So then I went to Stevenson Intermediate. And in, in Manoa, it was real comfortable. But Manoa, there's a lot of American Japanese families in Manoa. So most of the students were... American Japanese students. So we had a lot of them. So we're kind of like a majority there. And then when you moved into the intermediate schools where it combined the, the towns next to it, you know, so there was another valley of Papakalea, um, Paoa, and then it goes into Papakalea. And it, that's where you get a lot of the Hawaiians or the Samoans. And uh, that, that, it was always uh, when we were moving from Manoa school to the intermediate school Stevenson, it was always that little talk about, oh, damn, we're going to be maybe getting hijacked. You know, the, the the Asians were a lot smaller than the Hawaiians. So, you know, back in the day, um, the bigger person was the stronger person. So when we moved into the next school, it was a always a little bit of a fear, like, oh, no, we got to, the bigger guy's going to bully us, so they're going to pick on us, so. We went in, when I went into that school, that's what kind of what happened with the American Japanese. We were kind of targeted because we we're smaller and we we're, we're hijacked. And that's uh, and then when after we went to that school, and in that school, that's where I found my found myself to stand up for myself. And then from there, usually we would move into a school called Roosevelt, which is a a, a lot more rowdy. And a lot bigger, so um, I was lucky to actually get a into a private school. Um, it was the the pull I got was from my baseball. Mm -hmm. I used to be a baseball player, so I wasn't like like super a superstar or anything, but I was a better player. So I got a like not a scholarship, but I, I it got actually for the baseball team. I got pulled into the school. It was University Lab School. It was a 
a private school, very small private school. So yeah, that was my schooling. And then after that, my high school, I went into college, uh, went into two years of college, took a trip to uh, Japan to play racquetball. And 28 years later, I'm still here. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go back to uh, elementary school. You were saying like the Asians are smaller than the Samoans, of course, because if you know Samoan people, they are bigger than the average person. So when you were younger, were you small? Because right now, you know, in your fighting days, you weren't very small at all. So, well, um, well, in my fighting days, I was actually the smaller side. Yeah. So, um, I fought at maybe ninety-four to one hundred five kilos, and you know, a lot of the guys I fought were a lot bigger than me. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so in in Hawaii, even yeah, like in Japan, I I might be considered a bigger person. But in Hawaii, I'm not a bigger person. I'm actually on the smaller side of the um, people in Hawaii. So, yes, I am considered a lot smaller. When you were in elementary school, I guess elementary school kids will be kids. You know what I mean? It's not really that serious. But was there a lot of, um, like you said, your community was mostly Japanese Americans. So you didn't have to really worry about your safety or anything like that, you were kind of comfortable in your surroundings. Then when you transitioned to middle school, you said that, you know, the Samoans and the Hawaiians were there. When you first stepped into middle school, how was, what was your reaction to being around the other people on the island? I was a little scared. Um, we're on easy. You know, we walked, uh, was, everyone was, you know, Manoa school was uh, all the Asians and it was real comfortable. Nobody, no, there was no problems like any hijacking or, not much bullying. If anything, it was a very mild scale. So when we moved into the intermediate school, yeah, it was a little bit of a like a little shock because um, we the, everyone had their cliques. Yeah, the Vietnamese hung together, the the Hawaiians hung together, the the Asians hung together. So when you know it, because we were smaller, you know, I I almost remember it being almost instantaneous where every time we walked, the Asians walked into the cafeteria or around the school would get you know eyeballed by the the hawaiians you know the so we'd get you know we call it the stink eye we would get stared down and kind of almost um being intimidated just not not necessarily so much verbal but you know by the stares and the you know the the chuckles and the comments and and of course it, it branched out into a point where they started taking our lunch money and mm -hmm. taking our uh juice money so it it got it was really uncomfortable. We there were you know it it was like a it was like a um a wave of energy because yeah, when you're when they're around it's scary and we're we're kind of on the watching our backs and then when we're in our own group we're back having fun and being normal and then as soon as we got to go to lunch and then got to walk by the Hawaiian table it's like kind of like oh there's that oh that, that, that little fear so it wasn't a a fun thing in the beginning but it. It was something that I guess we had to get adjusted to. Like I grew up in the 90s in the States. And in the 90s in the States, the Asians, they're all together. Like the Hawaiians are together with the Japanese, the Korean, everybody's together because it's such a small community, right? And there's the whites and the black the Mexicans, everybody's there. So back in Hawaii, you're talking about like the Asians were separated from each other, the groups. Yeah, well, the, the the groups are separate. Just just in school, yeah. Mm -hmm. So just in the elementary schools, there are little cliques, you know. Like of course the the Hawaiians that came from the other district and and 
emerged into the intermediate school. Of course, they had their little town cliques, their town fans. We had our little little Asian group that we were friends. So it was it was almost automatic to for us to start hanging together into the groups that we were comfortable with. When did you first have your altercations in middle school? As soon as we started, yeah. As soon as we got in there, the, the um, you know, I never got approached personally myself, but um, my friends would get their lunch money taken, you know. And um, I remember there was a time when I, I think I gave my juice money to one of the guys. Um, not not necessarily like he forced me to give it. I kind of made an excuse like, oh, I don't think I was going to drink the juice anyway today. So when he asked for it, I gave it to him. And um, I remember specifically, um, I forget, I think it was Egan told my bro- my father or something. But I remember specifically my dad telling me that never walk away, back down from a confrontation. Don't, because once you do that, they're going to take more advantage of you. Mm-hmm. And he and, you know, just those words kind of like, uh, yeah, but you don't know the, the fear that we have when we're in there. But then he said, the next sentence he said was, if I ever hear that you've turned on a fight or backed away from a confrontation, next, next and again, if I hear that you had, did that again, when you come home, you fight with me. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, at that elementary school age, you know, you, your father is like your idol. is a, a person you really look up to. And there's someone that, you know, it's almost like, you think your dad's probably the toughest guy in the world. Definitely. So thinking like fighting my dad, you know, I mean, I'm looking at the thickness of his legs and his <laughs> arms. And he's a full grown adult. And I'm thinking about the biggest bully in uh, my, the intermediate school, Stevenson Intermediate. And I was like, that guy's not even compared to my dad. So if I got to come home and fight my dad, that's 10 times the fear. So the very next time, when we were sitting down after class waiting for the bell to ring, he came up to me and he asked me for my, for money. He said, he said, he, I remember him walking out without his shirt, coming up to me saying, Hey, Japanese boy, I need, give me some money to buy juice. And I was like, okay. And then, then right there, my dad's words ran into my head. Like I either fight my dad or him. And I was looking at all of a sudden this bully didn't look as scary anymore. So I pretty much just stood up and told him, I'm not giving you any money. And I remember that. I remember when I told him that he started making a big scene, almost like dancing around. So, oh yeah, oh yeah, I'm gonna put. You. I remember him saying, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna beat you up. I'm gonna hurt you." And I remember, I don't even remember the girl's name or what she looks like, but I remember a girl running up, seeing this confrontation happening, and saying, "Oh, you're so stupid. He's gonna put you in the hospital. He's gonna put you in the hospital." And um, just by standing up to them, I became a target. I became a target to these guys that um, they, they also, of course, they respected that. Mm. But then I became a target. So and, it became worse. Um, yeah, it became worse in the sense that they didn't try to take my money anymore, but they started, they went into a different level where they started to pick fights with me. Uh. So whenever I walked in the hallway and they saw me walk by, they would heckle, they would stare at me, swear at me, call me an asshole and, you know, that kind of stuff. And, um, there was a time when I got into an altercation with one of them and held up my own and pretty much beat the guy up. And after that, it seemed like a lot of these, just those, the, there's three main guys. I still remember their names. Their name was Avis, Billy Kicker, and Puna. 
those three guys were the punks of the school mm-hmm. and the bullies. And I remember them and I remember they, um, they would uh, always stare me down and always, you know, heckle me and everything. But the other guys around them that would have been picking and taking my money too became really nice to me and became my friends. And I, I actually got a lot of friends with a lot of the other Hawaiian guys in our age class. So it, it, it changed a lot because I didn't need to worry about being hijacked anymore. Mm-hmm. But it changed in a bad way where now I had to watch my back because in Hawaii, we call it false crack. False crack is when someone hits you without you looking like in the back of the head. And like sucker punch. Yeah, like sucker punch, yeah. Mm-hmm. So there was a good chance of that happening. So it was, I was always on the edge with that kind of stuff. And, you know, it, it made it a lot more comfortable. But then besides walking past that group of guys, those three guys, other than that, it was it was so much easier, so much more comfortable, and it was bad because because being as young as I was, I didn't understand the you know the fact that I was on that end and how shitty it felt, and to do that to other people was probably the wrong thing to do. But I was, in, on the other hand, I felt really comfortable with or really happy, and I the ego was built up with that that respect that I started getting. So instead of, you know, changing things, I continued the trend. And I, I started taking lunch money. I started taking money from the other kids. So, um, you know, good, good and bad. Bad, I, I probably create a lot of stress to a lot of the students. I mean, I, I even had a kid that was in grade school with us actually message me like, I think it was last year. And he said that um, he's finally, he mentioned an incident that I don't even remember. Uh-huh. But apparently that incident traumatized him. And he said, yeah, I think he's finally found God. And he said to me that, I just wanted to let you know that of all, after all the, and we're like in our 50s now. Yeah. After all these years, you traumatized me. I've hated you for all these years. I've seen all the things you're doing now and it seems like you're doing good things and I always smirked at it knowing what an asshole you were to us. But I found myself to forgive you. And I was like, whoa. And I, and I thought, wow, this, this kid that wrote to me, I remember him. And, I, and I'm thinking, I don't remember. I don't remember. He wasn't one of our targets. You know how you have certain kids that you target and pick on? He wasn't one of the targets. And I don't even remember the incident, but apparently that's one incident scarred him for life and you know I, I i just got that message and you know the so the bad thing about what happened in intermediate school is i started doing those things and probably really hurt and traumatized a lot of kids around me but the good thing was it it you know it's that time in everyone i believe every human being has a has a fighter side and has a submissive side and there's going to be a big a real turning point in your life where you have to choose which side to go on and especially when you're a child if you if amongst your peers if you choose that side to fold back and let them take advantage of you that's pretty much the the movement that's going to happen throughout your life next into your high school to your college and you're going to start building that character personality but if you on the other hand what i did was when i because of my the words from my father i fought back and that 
of course, the peers around you now is going to give you the respect or some of the kids are going to try and challenge that, that ferocity that they saw in you and you got to stand up to it. So it's that fine point where you either teeter to this side or you teeter to that side. And fortunately, I teetered to the side that made myself a man of honor and made myself respected who I was and stood up for myself. So yeah, that was a movement in intermediate school, and you know it, it felt was, good. What's what that? What grade was that? What grade? That was in uh, seventh grade. Okay, so that continued. Yeah, so that's continued to the eighth grade, and so the seventh, eighth grade, I started getting this this uh, reputation of being one of the tougher guys in school. Um, besides those that group of three guys that would try and pick fights or. Uh, just make trouble to me. Other other than that, I was really respected. And the fear was, after ninth grade, we'd move into the the high school. So now these three bullies that were the the, the everyone feared were going to be a, a like little fish into a bigger pond where they're going to be more bigger bullies that are even more scary than them. Not 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 only having to deal with them, you have to deal with their their elders and their buddies that were in there you know a lot tougher and stronger and bigger guys so i you know i i knew i would it was going to be a crazy thing to move into the high school the roosevelt high school and i knew it was going to be a lot i was going to have to start fighting all over again to establish my reputation and who i was but fortunately that's when i moved into the university lab school a private school it's a lot smaller school and um I remember my first day there, I was saying, okay, I'm, who got saved from Roosevelt? I'm moving into a, a, a private school now. And I'm thinking, okay, at least I know, I know the representative of Roosevelt from Stevenson. It's like, Stevenson was scary. Roosevelt's even more scary. So I'm like, oh, no, I, I, I don't think, who I got away from that. And then at the first day in um, university high school, I remember walking through the cafeteria and there were like these huge Samoan guys, like, made the guys in the last school like little Asians. These guys were huge. You're talking literally like 200, 230 pound high school kids. Damn. Yeah, even more. And, you know, I remember one of them, I remember a bunch of them, man. One is one was Joanna Sai. He's a pastor now. He was a star football player and went to the plate for the Dallas Cowboys. Another, another one was uh, um, Saliva Tisanoi. And his he he be, actually became a sumo wrestler here, Konishiki. Mm-hmm. And I remember seeing them, and I remember walking by, saying, "Oh no, this is like a whole new level, and this is like a whole new group of guys." And I'm saying, "Oh," and I'm looking at those guys, thinking, "Okay, I remember I used to fight back to the guys who used to pick on me." I'm saying, "These guys are like on another size level that it'd be stupid to fight back." And when I walk by them. It, it, the stairs were different. They looked at me and they kind of like gave me that little, hey, head nod. And, and I remember um, Saliva Tisanoi saying, hey, what's up, Japanese boy? And I was like, hey, what's up? And they said, what's up? And it was like, I walked by like, whoa, they were super cool. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that was, you know, that was the first time I got in there and it was like, wow, this is pretty cool. It's a lot different from the elementary schools. Yeah. Was there a lot of like racism, you know, because you're saying right now that when you walk by, they're like, hey, Japanese boy, where it's kind of like they are just kind of targeting like you're this race. Is that, was that big in Hawaii at, in the 90s? Well, 
Well, you know, Hawaii, the thing with Hawaii is a lot different is, um, of course, in this, in this pretty uh, prissy world we have today, you say Japanese boy and all of a sudden it's racism. Yeah. You call someone a black person in the wrong intonation or in the wrong conversation and you're a racist. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's crazy. It's like almost like, although I'm not even a racist, I still got to watch what I say because I might be labeled as a racist if I say the wrong words. Yeah. But, you know, back in Hawaii, um, even, even today, because Hawaii, I don't know if you know, but Hawaii is cons considered America and it's considered the melting pot of America. The reason being is in Hawaii, we have all ethnic groups mixed together. But, you know, you, in, in California, you have that too, but it's in certain districts. Yeah. Yeah. And you go to Japan, it's all Japanese. There's some foreigners. You go to Korea, there's more Koreans, some foreigners. Mm. But in Hawaii, you can walk through Hawaii and not, if you didn't know it was America, you'd be like, wow, what country is this? Because you have your Koreans, you have your Asian, you have your Japanese, you have the Chinese, you have the Vietnamese, you have the Samoa, you have them all over. So for us in Hawaii, being called a Japanese boy wasn't racist. Mm -hmm. We called they called us the Japs, Japanese nips. We called the Jap the Chinese chinks. Mm -hmm. They the Samoans we called them soles. The Hawaiians were kanakas. You know, we all had these little words that we called each other, and there was no racism, even uh. You know, like in the towns, you know, when when in Waikiki or in, in the in the Honolulu, I never experienced any racism. I mean, if there's any if there's any usage in a racist way, it's like if you get into a car, you know, a car fender bender, and then you're pissed off at each other, and you refer to as these stupid Hawaiian, these stupid Japanese, you know, that kind of stuff. But it was never in a racist intonation mm. at all. Yeah, nowadays it's like you can't say anything. Yeah, all this is, yeah, it's like, you, you, like, hey, what's up, Jap? Or what's up, Japanese boy? Like, oh, you're racist. I'm like, he just, he just called me by my ethnic, you know, my race, my race. It's not, it's not, it's not a racist at all, you know. Uh, I, I don't feel that way, but the world has become pretty crazy, man. It has, like, just, it's weird. Like, there's like atomic weapons and all this shit, but you say like words and people are hurt by that shit all the time. Well, you know? even like, you get this thing where it's like, you, a, a white cop would oh arrest a black guy and this it's racist yeah <laughs> like, oh, i think the black guy did something bad it could have been if it was a white guy a japanese guy or an asian I mean, a, a caucasian guy he'd probably get arrested too you know but yeah. it's like all of a sudden because it's a white guy doing a black guy's suit it's racist you know it's it, it's kind of crazy how it's becoming yeah, it's like the scenario of it. Like, if they don't ever have a video of, like, an Asian cop resting a white guy and then people saying that that's racist because it's basically yeah. the same thing, right? Like, a white yeah. cop resting an Asian kid. Yeah. Same thing, you know, so... And you know how many white cops arrest white guys? <laughs> all the time. All the time. <laughs> I think it's the most... I think they arrest white people more than anybody. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, so, yeah, I know. It's just that thing that people... um. I guess people have a chip on the shoulder. It depends what race you are, you know. Of course, a lot of my friends in Hawaii, some of them that have chips on their shoulder, they go to, like, the American states, and then they feel like maybe people look down at Asians and every little thing that happens, ah, because I'm Asian, you know. It's, I think it's more of the outlook. I mean, it's, I think it's kind of sad how it is, but that's the world we live in, I guess. Yeah, it all depends, I guess, on the situation, and the way you're saying certain things. And especially, 
I think Asian to Asian, nobody really cares. You know, like Asians calling other Asians something is just like whatever, man. It's just it's just what it is. I think from you know back in those days, that's how people reacted to it. But now yeah. people are different. Like you said, even Asian people are different about it. Like you could say one thing to somebody else, and another Asian to another Asian, and they'll they'll be sensitive because that's how the world has become. So yeah, yeah. You know, it oh, is. But you know, as as I'm saying this, I gotta admit though, I do have a chip on my shoulder about being Asian sometimes because. You know, a lot of times, you know, the Asian people, they're quiet. They don't cause a confrontation. So a lot of the American people will make comments or cut in line or do something really um, um, rude to the Asian people in particular because they, they, they don't stand. I mean, not that they don't stand up for themselves. They're, we're, we're more quiet and we just avoid the confrontation. And I remember when I started traveling to the States a lot for racquetball, I remember having that little chip about people taking advantage of Asian people. Mm-hmm. And I would probably, you know how a lot of the, the Afro-Americans and the black people would jump into, a lot of them, um, they, they'll jump into, they'll assume that they're being raced, being picked on or mm-hmm. chosen out. I, I, I admit I had that incident. They get five men, I'm there in line, and then this guy maybe mistakenly just walks and starts cutting. I feel like, oh, because I'm Asian, this guy's cutting it. I'd re- overreact on it. Say, hey, get, you know, be real rude to him. And get the back in line. You know, get your ass back in line. I almost feel like, oh, oh, he thought he didn't speak English or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I've had that a lot, too. So I, I can kind of understand how people can have a chip and, and react a, overreact a little bit because of the chip. You ever had uh, somebody, you, you, you meet somebody for the first time or you meet, like you run into somebody somewhere and you start talking to them, and they're like, "Damn, man, you speak English good." You ever had that? <laughs> All the time. You must get that too. All the, All time. the time. Well, your English is good. It's like, uh, yeah, I'm born and raised in Hawaii. <laughs> yeah, I get that a lot, man. And it's like, is that racist? I don't know. You know. I don't, yeah, you. Funny. It could be today. People could yeah. claim that. <laughs> it's funny to me, but I, you know, like, it's good that you talk about it because. Like, a lot of people don't know that aspect of, like, Asian culture, like, being, living with other Asians and, like, we, between Asian people, it's not a big deal. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. It's, it's, you know, I guess in America, I think it's America is the main problem. America, like, so. they become so sensitive about it. And other places in the world, they don't really care about it as much at all. Yeah. That's why, you know, you know, a lot of people like us, we're from Hawaii. When we're in Hawaii... I don't, we didn't ever concern ourselves like Americans because Americans, we didn't want to be in that class of Americans because Americans are a lot different from the people in Hawaii. Like they are different from the people in Japan, the people in Korea. You know, it's like, like in Hawaii, we we're not like the American image is that big talk, loud, boisterous, bragging, you know. But the Asian style or Hawaii style is more the, we're more the subdued, more quiet, more confident, you know. And so we're not the typical American. So to be classified as American person, we kind of had a little bit of, nah, well, yeah, okay, I'm, in, I'm American nationality, but I'm from Hawaii. It was always that little, but I'm from Hawaii. I'm not quote unquote American, you know. So it was kind of funny that way because, we still get that yet, you know. We, I mean, I still get that. We, you know, like sometimes I'll say, "Oh, these damn Americans!" It's like, but well, I'm American, so 
it's weird for me to say that, but damn Americans, you know, the way that the people in America are, yeah. Yeah, it is. It is like that because I remember, like, I I grew up on the West Coast. So, like, people from Hawaii would come over all the time. And they would say, I'm Hawaiian. They, they would never say they're American. You know, like the Samoans and the Tongans and everybody from, you know, Hawaii. They would be like, I'm Hawaiian. Yeah. So, it was very unique that there you lived on the island, but you're you're part of America, but you're not really part of America because it's like you said earlier, a melting pot of so many different Asian cultures. I think the most Asian, like different Asian like countries, they live in Hawaii than anywhere else in the world. I yeah, believe. it's a lot. Yeah, yeah right. It's the mixture is crazy. Yes. Um, now going back to, you know, going growing up now you are known for your fighting. So when you were young and you said that, you know, in seventh grade, your, your life kind of changed to where you weren't being that bullied as much. And you were kind of, you, you, you stood up for yourself. Now, when did the, like, how was fighting like in the street? Cause I know you talked about it before in like previous interviews, like you did fight in the street when you were younger, who were you fighting and why were you fighting in the street? Well, it was more, um, confrontations at school dances it was confrontations in waikiki it was um well we were anti-american where the caucasians would come to hawaii and you know kind of look down at the people in hawaii so we would go and get into fights in waikiki so what's that the tourists tourists that came in and we felt like you come to hawaii respect hawaii but you you come in you you guys get drunk, you guys scream and, you know, act obnoxious, you know. Oh, you're going to get knocked out tonight, you know. <laughs> kind of stuff. A lot of fights, you know. I mean, there was a lot of even even fights just within people in Hawaii, you know. In Hawaii, back in our day, there was not much guns, you know. So, it was, you get into an argument at a sports club, you turn to a fist fight. Let's go outside and we have a fist fight. You get into a fender bender on the street and you don't like the guy. The, the guy comes out cocky. Of course, you both heated up because of the car accident. Mm-hmm. Get into a fist fight. So a lot of it was, it was a lot of fist fights in Hawaii. And that's the only reason why I trained martial arts is to be able to defend myself on the streets. You know, of course, I had that little chip to being Asian and being picked on and being, you know, we were smaller. And back in the day before Gracie Jiu-Jitsu was introduced to the world, the smaller guy was the bigger guy was always a stronger fighter mm-hmm. i mean so and i always didn't like that idea and I always every time i got into a fight it was always someone bigger so yeah so that a lot of fights a lot of so I, I just trained a lot of martial arts just to protect myself in the streets before you started training martial arts what would you uh label your fighting style in the street I was, uh, the, the only thing that really helped me is I was fearless. Uh-huh. I would fight two guys. I would fight a bigger guy. I would fight a full-grown man. I, I didn't necessarily look for fights as much, but it was more if a fight came, I didn't back down no matter who it was. So that was, I guess it kind of mirrors the, the fighting style I had as a professional, but it had, I had that little fire in me that I didn't want to back down or, or maybe a little bit of ego too in that. So you just would go in there and just like, if somebody, you know, cause there's a lot of people on the street, they'll come up to you and they will be confrontational, but really they don't want to fight. They just want to 
you know, pump their chest out and be loud and kind of try to scare somebody. But really, if, if it got physical, they would run away. So did, yeah. that, did you experience that a lot? A lot, a lot, where you, they come up, bubble, everything gets to that point when it starts getting, okay, let's do it, let's get done. Like, oh, why are you getting so mad? I don't want to fight. Like, well, you just cut my whole, my whole life down, and you're just staring me down like you want to fight. You know, it, and you know, it, it's usually the Americans. <laughs> but, yeah, so got, got that a lot. You know, we got that a lot, and um, there's a lot of times it did back down because this – saw we were serious you know a lot of times i did take the first punch a lot of times when even when they did start backing down i continued and pursued the fight you know so it was pretty wild it was i'm i'm lucky i didn't get ever get shot i'm lucky i didn't get gang jumped and beaten to a pulp i'm lucky i didn't get arrested i count my blessings did people get rest arrested for fighting in hawaii a lot no, not that I remember. I've never did. You know, I've never got arrested for assault or battery or anything. I've gotten to a lot of fights, but never got arrested, man. I mean, maybe that's why there was a lot of fights in Hawaii, because there wasn't a big problem. You know, we never got arrested for it. I think back then, fighting was more accepted. And people are like, nowadays, people are sensitive. So if you fight somebody and you hurt them, like they'll go to the hospital and they'll press charges or something like that. I think back then that, that wasn't really the case in no. the street. Cause there was no, you know, like you said, there was no weapons. There was not many guns or nothing like that. So people would fight. And then maybe you see each other again, you might fight again after you're healed up. Right. So did you have that experience where you like fought the same guy a few times? No, I never had that, but I've heard of that happening. But um, yeah, once the fight's done, the winner's a winner, and it's always respected that way. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, it's scary today because um, I, I don't know if it's maybe because I'm a professional fighter or I'm easily fallen now. If I push someone, they'll probably press charges. You'll be on Instagram. Oh, yeah, for <laughs> sure. I'll be all over, now, especially now with the cameras and the, the, the social media, man. Yeah. It'll be a huge thing. But luckily... It's not something that that um, gives me any itch at all. You know, if I have someone that's trying to pick a fight with me on the street, it's I it's funny. And for me to actually get into a street fight with somebody, I've really got to feel endangered. I really got to feel like I'm being going to be hurt, or I really got to feel like someone that I care about is going to be hurt. Other than that, I can't see myself actually getting feeling threatened and getting to a street fight with somebody when you know you you said that you know you were fighting and your fighting style was this way then you started training martial arts i think you 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 trained taekwondo is that right yeah first thing it was taekwondo taekwondo yeah. and then you trained hapkido which is kind of very similar once yeah. you started training those martial arts what did you see different in your street fighting style well, um, I didn't see a, much of a difference yet because I still didn't. I think I've, every time someone confronted me and tried to challenge me in the streets, I think the reason why I got into the fights is because I felt scared and I felt insecure about whether I could beat this guy up or defend myself. So it would get confrontational a lot. So I think when I was doing Taekwondo, Hapkido, I still didn't have that confidence. And I still was, 
you know, just learning the new techniques. And, and of course, in Taekwondo, you got to be flexible. I was like, the, the, I was stiff as a board. <laughs> so a lot of the stuff that most people could do, I couldn't. So I, it wasn't really that good. I had, The only thing that I could use in my repertoire was a straight sidekick because it didn't, you know, you kick it in the midsection. It doesn't necessarily need flexibility. But, you know, Taekwondo has the nice high kicks, the spinning back kicks, you know, like the, the spinning crescent kicks. Mm. And I couldn't do those. So I wasn't very good. So I, they wouldn't build confidence, but I just wanted to have something behind me to try and find something that would defend myself. And I, the reason why I trained so much different, Marge, like when I went from Taekwondo to Hapkido, it was like in the same school, yeah? Master Hong taught um, Taekwondo and Hapkido. So Egan did that. We did it together. And, you know, I did it because I felt that was the best way to defend myself. I also tried Aikido. But Aikido was hard because I noticed that it would it was a lot of yin and yang. Yeah, as you know, Aikido, you 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 correspond your energy with your opponent. So if he's yanging here, you yin and then you count you can counter his his movement with his energy. And I just felt like, man, that is so hard to do. I mean, it would take me years and years and hopefully by the time I'm sixty I'm not getting to street fights. You know, so I'm mean, okay, Aikido is not something that I, I need something that would help me defend myself tomorrow. Yeah. And I like Taekwondo and Hapkido, but the only thing I didn't like about Taekwondo and Hapkido is that in a closed space, in a library, if you get into a fight, you can't utilize your kicks and your, you know, your spinning kicks and your high kicks. And even the, the sidekick might be hard if you're in a parking lot with there's no space. Mm. So I, I, I liked it. I continued training Taekwondo, but I was in a search for more. Um, I found uh, Jet Kundo with Wing Chun. And I liked that because I felt in the close quarters, once you made, I felt Taekwondo is that distance. And then that close quarters, once you made contact, the Taekwondo, the kicks and the high kicks and everything doesn't work anymore. So I felt the Wing Chun was really good after that. And then I found Muay Thai. And I was like, okay, whoa, Muay Thai doesn't, you don't require as much flexibility. So I got more attracted to that than Taekwondo. And then I found Jiu Jitsu. And jiu-jitsu, I remember I was in college and I remember the first time I saw jiu-jitsu was they had a video playing. And they had a video playing of uh, the Gracie Jiu-Jitsu in action, mm-hmm. number one. I remember watching it and saying, wow, this, whoa, these guys are kicking some ass. And they said, oh, finding this karate guy, boom, this guy beats them up, takes them to the ground, beats them up. Blah, 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 blah. And I was like, kind of like, wow, this looks like a good art, but uh, maybe that guy was just a better fighter. And then the last fight in the video was Hickson against Zulu. And I saw, I was like, whoa, I don't care how good this little guy is. This black guy is huge. <laughs> and I'm looking at that fight and thinking, okay, wait a minute. This is a video of crazy jiu-jitsu. So apparently they're trying to plug the jiu-jitsu. Yeah. So don't tell me this guy is going to beat this black guy up. So then, okay, let's see this. So I watched, stood at, I remember standing at the campus center. And just watching this, this guy Homolo had a had a TV, and we were just watching the TV in the in the in the little opening area. And I was saying, watch this kicks and choke out Suga. I'm like, right there. I'm like, whoa! I gotta check this art out. So I I asked the guy, well, where's the classes? He said, oh, it's a non-credit course. Gracie Jiu-Jitsu was actually a non-credit course in the University of Hawaii. Wow. So I went there, okay, non-credit, but yeah, I was just going to sign it up to try and learn. I went there, went to the class, and there was House and Gracie teaching. And I remember him showing us this 
real weird shit. Like, okay, if he grabs you here, swing your arm this way, grab and turn. And like, this is not what I saw in the video. This is like almost like Aikido. Like, oh no, don't tell me this is the art I cannot use again. So it goes through all that self-defense. He chokes you here, you lean forward, you bend over and you get your head under his arm. And like, oh my God, this is horrible. And after the class was done, he said, okay, this is done. Glad next, see you guys on Thursday or whatever the next class was. I remember waiting for people to kind of funnel out. And I went up to Helsin and that guy Homel. And I said, you know, I said, I want to learn the stuff that you show on the video to fight on the streets. And he goes, wow, you got to go through the self-defense class first. And, you know, after that, once you finish this course, we'll go into more advanced things at the ground. And I'm like, can I spar with someone to feel the technique? And the host said, oh, sure. And then, of course, there's some, you know, the sparring is that we're not trying to hurt each other. And I'm there trying to figure out if this is a good art. So I'm like, okay, we'll spar. Okay, we'll just grapple. That's fine. And I never did wrestling. I wasn't a grappler, but I said, oh, you know, I can grapple. And then especially when they point to this little guy, this little Brazilian guy named Homero. They said, okay, you can spar. Homero, come here. They called Homero. And he came over and he was like, Homero, I was like 100. I was like still smaller, but I was like 170, 170 pounds. Homero's like 130. Mm. So I'm like, okay, this little guy, you, you guys want me to spar this little guy? I'm thinking, I'm going to hurt this little guy. So I'm going to crank his neck. I'm going to, okay, let's do it. We get in there. And I think because Homero was a black belt. And because I think they understand that, you know, a lot of the, the people off the streets don't understand joint lock. So a lot of times we won't tap thinking there's no danger. Mm -hmm. So he opted to just choke me out. So when he first started, like with, I say within a minute or two, he was on my back and then choking me out. I'm like, whoa. So I'm like, okay, that, whoa. I think, okay, there's no way. Let's do it again. We did it again. The second time he did the same thing. And I'm like, whoa, what's going on here? The third time, they okay, I can't let him get to my back now. So, of course, I don't know how not to get to my back. I don't have any ground technique. But I'm just thinking instinctively, I can't have him on my back because that's all he does. And next thing I know, I don't do anything. He's on my back, chokes me out. And right there, I thought, okay, this is it. This is what I need. So, I, um, I actually stopped training Taekwondo. I started, I just did very part-time Muay Thai. And I started doing, I kept doing my Wing Chun. But 99% of my energy was in jiu-jitsu. And I was 24 hours jiu-jitsu after that. What year was that when you first experienced um, Helsin's class? That was in, I think, I want to say it was in 86, 1986. Wow, that's, that's way before the UFC was even. Before the UFC. Of. Yeah, that was before the UFC. And that was... Um, geez, that was, uh, it was my first year out of high school. Yeah. It was first year in college. So Dracy Jiu Jitsu was not known at all. No one it was knew what not, it was. Yeah. No one knew what it was. Yeah. I think that's, that's at the point where, um, Helsin came to Hawaii and I think Horian went to California. Yeah. Horian, Hoist and Hoyler. Now, at, at that time, you know, when you're in high school and you're fighting, you know, tourists and you're, you're learning all these martial arts and, and you're going to school at the same time playing sports, how was your parents reacting to all of this? Like, are they, are they hearing about your, you know, your, your adventures outside of the home? Yeah, um, they hated it. 
um, of course, my parents were um, both school teachers. Uh, and a lot of times they had to go into parent-teacher conferences because of my fighting. And it was, it was hard for them because they were high up administrators. So they knew a lot of administrators in other schools. So one of the counselors in the Stevenson Intermediate was one of my dad's friends. And they would have to come into parent-teacher conferences. I remember at one time in school, there were six periods per day. So six teachers in a day. Four of those teachers, my parents had to have parent-teacher conference with them because of the trouble I was causing in school and in class. So, yeah, it was my mom, them, I mean, they, it was a big thing that, you know, I had to stop fighting, you know, Egan was, my brother Egan was more peaceful. He was class president. He was, uh, you know, honor roll, good grades, never got into fights, not even into problems. And I was the one always fighting, getting into trouble in class, teachers complaining about me. And I remember it was always like, the, the 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 gist was like man how can why can't you be more like egan you know mm. just be a, more mature out of trouble you know that kind of stuff and i remember that it was it was kind of disappointing for my parents and they were kind of scared i think about where my future was going to lead me I'd fight in the baseball fields i'd fight in the basketball court i mean every sport i played i was such a hot-headed wanted to win so bad. I was such a competitor that when the ump would call the game because of darkness and I didn't think it was too dark, I'd run off an outfield, try to fight the umpire, you know, walk into the bench of the opposing basketball team, trying to fight with them because they're they heckling me. You know, so I had that little fire and um, it, was, it was something that uh, I think I had to learn to overcome eventually, yeah. But yeah, my parents, oh, they, they just didn't like it. That's why when I made the move to Japan, they were super happy because Japan is a lot more peaceful, mm. less confrontation. And they felt like, okay, new start, new leaf, maybe instant, we have hope for instant to not go to jail and get arrested for killing someone. Did you, did you feel that when you were younger, like you had a lot of anger built up? Is, is that what you felt like now that you look at it, you're older, you know, you can look back and say, maybe I had a lot of anger built inside. That's why I would be so hot headed and go after people. Yeah. I never really thought about that. Now thinking about, it, I don't know. I don't know if it was, I don't know if I could really say it was anger built up or resentment for anything. I think it was more for me. It was that energy and that, that I had a real rascal personality, a mm. character making, making, playing jokes, pranks. <laughs> and even, I guess for me, I never, I was too young to really see the other side of the fence, you know, like if, how that person would be feeling while beating him up or picking on him. And I only could see my side and thinking that I'm having fun at this person's expense, mm. but not thinking that, it's that big a deal. Come on, don't be a pussy. I mean, I just punch you in the face, but don't be a pussy. You're going to heal. You know, I had that real distorted type of thinking. Mm -hmm. When did you feel like, you know, when did it change, you know, like in like your ideas, those thoughts, like did it change when you started doing like martial arts or other type, like when you started doing jujitsu and you've, felt more comfortable in your style of fighting or whatever? 
Well, um, jiu-jitsu helped a lot because what, what I realized in jiu-jitsu is there's a the majority of the people on the street that don't know jiu-jitsu, I could subdue. Mm-hmm. And I felt it, it, it helped because I was surprised because you know how you say, ah, oh, this insecurity, that's why he's getting to fight, you know, you think, yeah, but then when it happens to you, it's like, I'm not, it's not because I'm scared, that's why I'm fighting. But then when I started getting confident in my jiu-jitsu, I realized when people try to pick fights, I looked at the person thinking, oh, does this guy even know that I could just subdue him? Grab him, take him down, and subdue him. And it, it, the, the, the threat wasn't there anymore. And I even felt like I didn't, it, I didn't even feel like I had to shut this guy up. Or mm-hmm. I felt like I could walk away thinking, oh, that guy doesn't even know what he just got walked away from. You know, so I did feel that martial arts did give me that little confidence that I didn't feel like threatened on the street. And I did realize that, yeah, being threatened is what caused someone to fight is you feel threatened by someone. That's why you, you feel, oh, he's, he thinks he can beat me up. I'll show him I can't. He can't beat me up, you know. But knowing that you probably could beat him up, you could probably subdue him, it, it wasn't, there wasn't that fire anymore as far as that. That was one movement that helped a lot with my, my change in my character. And the second thing that helped was Japan. Mm-hmm. Everyone in Japan is so polite, you know, I mean, there's no confrontation whatsoever in Japan. So to get into a street fight in Japan, you really have to be a dick or you really have to be trying to look for a fight. So in Japan, because I wasn't the type that really looked for fights, it simmered, it simmered. And then the only time I did get into fights was when I would go into Rapongi, which is where all the foreigners hang out. <laughs> All right, Ensign, we're going to stop right there because I think okay. we've discussed enough of Hawaii and fighting. Now the next episode, we'll get into you entering Japan for the Sounds first time good. and your adventures from that point on, right? You Sounds good, buddy. Yeah. Thanks for your time. And uh, until next time, take care.